Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. At least you're drinking again. Yeah. You feel great. You know, nobody got hurt. People got hurt. I'm saying I think they died quickly though, so I don't think that they got hurt. In this episode, we're squeezing into some corduroy flares with 2016's buddy comedy, The Nice Guys, directed by Shane Black and co-written with Anthony Bagarozzi. As the unofficial king of action movies featuring a sprinkling of snow and tinsel, we felt it only right to talk about a Shane Black movie relationship this Christmas season. So let's stick some earth, wind and fire on the turntable and dive into the pool. This is the second film starring Ryan Gosling that we've covered on the podcast, having talked about the love story in 2011's Drive last year. So if you enjoy any of these episodes, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll send you a stack of questionable magazines and a cracker to pull. <laughs> I don't have any magazines like that. It's all a lie. Of course not, Rich. Of course you don't. <laughs> I guess I'd best put this out there. This is the first time I'd actually seen this film, shamefully. It seems to tick so many boxes that I mean you've already mentioned Shane Black and the fact it's got Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe and set in the 70s and um, thank you for bringing it for me I suppose this is a a nice early Christmas present. Yes is this the first time that we've covered an action film where I've been the one to introduce it to you? Probably that's normally how it goes isn't it? (laughs) I feel I feel rather pleased. (laughs) I'm trying to think of how I I didn't get you anything. So, um, I mean, I think that you're probably the expert when it comes to both action films, Rich, and also buddy comedies. So do you have any comparisons to this one when it comes to other ones like that that it might have reminded you of? Um, I I guess it's it's easy to touch on the lethal weapon link. I mean, we've already got Shane Black who wrote that and... Um, and that lethal weapon, it obviously wasn't the first buddy comedy, but it's that very much that kind of two guys forced together to, to deal with uh, an issue that happened at Christmas. And th- there were a lot of similarities between um, that film and this film. There's adult movies or the adult film world, someone falling out of a tall window and landing on a car, and two guys from... I mean, in, in this case, they're, they're both... I mean, Ryan Gosling's character is is a private investigator and, and Russell Crowe's is, I suppose, like a, a hired goon, a hired heavy, yeah. um, an enforcer of some kind. And they're, they're kind of dragged into this world. And when we talk about in, in our other movies about, you know, we, we joke about meet-cutes and their meet-cute is Russell Crowe goes around to thump Ryan Gosling because he's, <laughs> he's stepping on his... His uh, his job, his his hire at the time, and their worlds kind of collide. And you know, there's not many meet cutes where one breaks the arm of the other, and the two end up being best friends. <laughs> do you think they do end up being best friends? Well, I don't know because the film. I'm not going to jump too far around, but the film ends in a kind of way where it's a little bit, a little bit dark. Yes. Uh, Jackson Healy, Russell Crowe's character, is uh, like an ex-alcoholic or he's he's at least teetotal now. And he's back to drinking (laughs) at the end. Yeah, yeah. at least you're drinking again is a fantastic line. (laughs) Um, But it's it's, it's such a telling thing that, you know, these are two guys who, who join forces for ultimately what becomes a shared purpose. And 
they, as in a lot of films, uncover a kind of conspiracy and and all this kind of plot alongside it. But there's so many nice strands to it. You know, they're not overly glamorizing the era. So we're talking about 77 Los yeah. Angeles. They, they kind of, you know, they're very much in that underworld around pornography and drugs and crime and organized crime. And I mean, the fashion sense is both splendid and awful at the same time. It's it's nice to look at it, something, you know, that's by, by our accounts a very recent film. Um, but the chemistry between the two of them just works so nicely because as we, we joked off air, Russell Crowe went through a phase of, of taking himself quite seriously in films and he's clearly having fun here. And I think this is a kind of Russell Crowe that, that I like to see, you know, he's enjoying himself and, and Ryan Gosling, again, going against the character he played in Drive, he's quite goofy here. He's not the suave, I won't say the winner, but, you know, he, he definitely is enjoying sort of playing a little bit against that. And it's just nice to see it on screen and it really translates really well. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that it comes only just a few years after Drive because from my point of view, when you're watching a movie like this, it kind of sends up certain tropes from action films where the guys kind of deal with things quite seamlessly. Like in this in this universe, when you're watching this movie, even though you're talking about two guys who are kind of used to a certain amount of violence or criminal activity... In this universe, if someone sees a dead body, they don't just go, yeah, whatever. They actually, <laughs> you know, recoil. <laughs> and, um, you know, you have that fantastic scene with uh, Ryan Gosling up against the tree next to the dead body of the guy. And he can't speak. He can't get to get the words out. And then... Um, when Jackson comes down to help him, you know, when they when they decide to move the body, he says, okay, well, let's throw up and then move the body, you know. So I really like the way in this one, people are kind of allowed to be sort of human and buffoon-like and because that's what we're all like, isn't it? Like if we were trying to do this kind of thing, do you think that we all have that element to us? I think deep down, yes. Um, some people will try and play the tough guy or the cool guy or, or girl. When in reality, you know, you come across a dead body or, or blood or anything out of the ordinary. And bear in mind, I mean, Holland in particular, Ryan Gosling, he, he's, in, he's a private investigator and yet he seems so hapless. Like when he tries to break into the bar at the start to get the receipts while he's doing an investigation and cuts his wrist on the glass, you know, that, yes. I laughed out loud at that because, <laughs> you know, again, when, when you see him in drive, everything's so cool and noir and really suave. And, and here he's just this absolute, let me use the word buffoon, yeah. like absolutely textbook word for it because this is kind of really what would happen. And you kind of, they're almost like comedy bad guys, like the, the two from home alone or something like that. But um you know, but yeah, it's a good comparison. I think, <laughs> you know, especially when you when when you look at, at him, at Holland. You know, he's he's a single dad, and he has this relationship. And again, like a lot of good films, the daughter plays the kind of the wise one, the the one who grounds him and almost like I'd say looks after him, but very much kind of almost makes him look like she's grown up to be quite 
an impressive person despite him, not because of him. No, it's. I, I think that they've got a really good take on what's required in parenting between the two of them because on the one hand, she's she's very wise, but on the other, there are these brilliant touches. Like I love the way when they get to the party, she's hidden in the trunk and then he opens it up and, he, and she says, well, you know, c- can I come with you? And then he just closes the trunk on her again. But then shortly after that, when she says there are whores here and stuff, and he says, don't say and stuff, just say there are whores here. And his thing, his way of being a good parent is to, you know, curb her, her like little, you know, vocal tics. So kind of, you know, so long as you're reminding your kid not to say and stuff, it doesn't matter what other totally irresponsible parenting you're getting up to. And obviously, you know, the film has quite a lot of fun with that. But I think that's, a, yeah, that's a good thing that they've got kind of running through it in terms of his total neglect of her and her having to... I mean, do you think that's a bit of a comment on how some kids might have... I mean, obviously, they they take it to extremes for comic effect in this one. But, um, but do you think the 70s might have been one of the kind of... Um, eras where a lot of kids were just expected to get on with it because of what their parents are getting up to. Oh, probably. I, I mean, I'd imagine there was a lot of, you know, t- and, and I guess, you know, we're not going into the realms of those nostalgia social media accounts. Again. Remember when you could take your kids to the pub and spend all day there on a Sunday and give them a bottle of Coke and they'd just sit there and watch you get absolutely plastered. But there, there, there is, I think this is dealt, dealt with in a as you say, uh, in with that comedy effect. And I think this does gloss over. I mean, ultimately, you know, when, as you say, that, that scene at the party, when they play on the thing where he says, don't say and stuff. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, I've never worked in films and I'm not <laughs> sure how the mechanics of getting a 13-year-old girl to talk about <laughs> with a porn star on set and she don't say anal and stuff just say anal it, yeah um really quite um that kind of is a little bit of a shock shocking moment but um it says a lot i suppose and you know th- there is still that ultimately you you still are reminded that the film is poking fun at the era and because it's made yeah. so much further down the line you know it's set what 50 40 odd years later that that they can look at that and not put her in any risk and because the film has just enough element of levity that you don't feel like she's going to be in peril really so you can enjoy it and laugh at it without feeling like this is really uncomfortable and weird yeah i think that uh, by putting those scenes in because as you say that one does feel quite sh- shocking in its own way i suppose they're hammering home how seedy the culture is that they're kind of going into and um, I suppose you kind of look at it through her eyes as you know and you feel protective of her as an audience member don't you and so I suppose that by by putting her in the equation they kind of yeah show you just sort of how corrupt and debauched the whole thing is. Dad, there's like whores here and stuff. Sweetheart, how many times have I told you don't say and stuff? Just say, Dad, there are whores here. Well, there's like a ton. Wait, no. I can help you. Seriously, I came all this way. I love you. By the way, I'm supposed to meet someone here. Do you by any chance know a girl named Amelia? I think she did a film with Sid Shadow. 
don't know if it's Sid's gross. He told me this one chick was his sister, right? And then a few days later, I walk in on them, and they're all doing and stuff. Don't say and stuff. Just say they're doing When you have on one hand, you've got a character who has a daughter who he clearly loves, and he's hapless and fairly moronic at times, yet loves her unconditionally and, and that. And then you've got, on the other hand, you've got Kim Basinger, who has, who's Amelia's mother, who is heavily involved in her death and is, as the, as the plot kind of divulges into big corporations and motor vehicles at the time and everything, you know, so, oh, well, she died. And that that kind of just to display the balance between good and evil, not that you need it. It's quite shocking as well when you, when you think about that. And even though it is a film, and I know that she's not portrayed as a particularly appealing character, Amelia's mum anyway, you know, she, she's already like the head of the Department of Justice. She's clearly one of the bad guys and in on it and you know, one for all the conspiracy theorists. But it's quite callous that that's dealt with and, and very obviously put there because I think the scene, the scene where she dies... Amelia dies. It's like you said, it's, it's shocking. But this is quite thing about Shane Black films. In you know, we look at Lethal Weapon and that, and sometimes that the way that female characters die in those films is quite brutal, and pro- let's be honest, probably quite realistic in terms of how people were treated in that era. I'm not a massive fan of the way this film begins. The way you see uh, the. Is, is, she, is she? Is it Misty Mountains? Yes. Yes, Misty Mountains. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't recognise her from yeah. <laughs> careering through uh, the house in in the car, and then you see the, the way they kind of show her her body, you know, sort of all bloodied and kind of in its last in its last states. I think there's something a little bit weird about the way that scene is the thing that you kick off with because. Um, I don't know that like that that thing sometimes that you get in this genre of of movie of the kind of sexualization of female uh, sort of violence towards women isn't isn't a great thing I think it kind of it it's like you know the killing off of the women becomes such a kind of normal normal thing that happens yes it's really amusing that the the young boy is finding his dad's porno mag in the middle of the night and then all of a sudden the woman he's ogling suddenly is lying there helpless basically outside his house it's 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 a little bit strange but um it, the way it's portrayed is it's slightly uncomfortable and, and you kind of reassured that the nice guys are the good guys i mean the clues in the name but they you know the the respectful um and russell crowe's relationship with with holly and he suddenly realized that her name's holly is a christmas film there you go um and <laughs> oh, like we're going Although he's, ta- he's taking money from old women though and stuff isn't he yeah, he's, yeah. He, he, he've lost their <laughs> he've lost their spouses and and he's not telling him that and she's they're making they're making that mistake of thinking that their late husbands have gone missing and he's mm. not correcting them so and you know and russell crowe isn't necessarily sort of doing something that's that highly moral either. I mean, I take the nice guys title as being kind of ironic to some yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I suppose if you're trying to get yourself a market, then oh, we're the nice guys, honest. Especially if your business is scamming old ladies. 
but um, yeah. <laughs> you know, with a British gas meter readers, of course we are. Um, but um, but yeah, and I, I think like you know um, when you have those scenes in it, and when you do go beyond like they're kind of all, like these lovable rogues, that there is that element of you know that they're not so different. You and I, all this kind of thing, where you know have one of them taken a little bit more money they might have played for the other team and um yeah it's i mean it, there, there is that ambiguity there but but again the kind of relationship and the 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 bond that grows between jackson and holland throughout the film is quite amusing when you see how it starts and where they get to at the end and the the journey that they take together march jack ely don't get upset i'm not here to hurt you so I'm going to ask you a question. Hey, no. How stupid do you think I am? I got a license to carry, motherfucker. Ever since your little visit the other day, this little baby's going to stay right here. Look away. Oh, there's a mirror here, right? Close your eyes. There's the amazing scene of him in the loo trying to, <laughs> you know, hold up the gun and keep the door open at the same time and balance the paper on his lap. And um, Jackson's just kind of watching him thinking, like, what an idiot. I mean, do you think that's like quite a quite a kind of trope that goes on? Because then as the film goes on, don't we, you know, even though Ryan Gosling's character has been called like the worst detective in the world, and stuff he starts to slowly but surely prove himself a little bit i mean is that something that's 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 echoed in other buddy movies do you think i think so i think that there's always that kind of contrast between the two in whichever film it is whether it's you know one's more wisecracky and one's smarter or one's the good looking one and the other one's the brains you know that kind of thing i mean you go back to anything from 48 hours men in black midnight runs a classic one uh, yeah. we've got one who is actually the brains because he's the brains behind the the mafia and the guy who's just trying to get him safe to earn his money but um i mean here it is played i suppose in the way that ryan gosling is clearly portrayed for laughs more anyway and, and in another film they could have easily gone into a, a realm where in russell crowe's character his wife has left him was it for his dad? Oh yeah, and come and the great quote: "Marriage is buying a house for someone you hate," which is an amazing <laughs> line. Yeah, it's a middle-aged guy thing to say. But um, and he has his is it word of the day cards, and um, and when he he uses it in a sentence, and he uses it to describe the way he was left. But yeah, he accepted her betrayal with equanimity. Jack, I'm fucking your dad. Yeah, I think, I think that, that is something because, you know, all the best, we'll call them buddy, buddy movies, all the best ones have to have something between them because there has to be, I think if they were too similar, then they wouldn't really work. You wouldn't have both the comedy or the, the bond between them, I think. There's, I suppose, I mean, maybe Bill and Ted, a push. You know, they're, they're fairly similar, aren't they? Beavers and Butthead. I mean, I guess Wayne and Garth are kind of different, aren't they? They are, I think. Yeah. Because, 
that that's that's played on more, isn't it? I suppose Wayne and Garth, you know, Garth has his his little moment when he's angry because we view as always is Garth. Like yes. you know, he doesn't yeah. like being the sidekick. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, if Thelma and Louise. I suppose if we if we're looking beyond two guys, two guys on a mission, you know, for, for that that's one. I mean, we we've talked about doing that one in a future episode. That'd be great. But um, you know, again, nice little contrast there. But I think yeah, that you have to have that difference between the two because otherwise, unless it's done properly, it can be done very very badly. Yeah, there's a a moment in Thelma and Louise where they um, I don't know whether you remember, but when they've got kind of this interaction with a cop where they're holding him at gunpoint and Louise says to Thelma, Thelma, shoot the radio and Thelma shoots his car radio. <laughs> and Louise says, no, not the car radio, his radio. <laughs> and and I thought that's that's like a joke out of the nice guys, actually. That's, you know, it's some of the, some of the best buddy movies have those moments that I guess kind of capture actually kind of what it's like to try and accomplish something with anyone there's always going to be these moments that one of you like has the good idea and the other one's being quite ditzy and then and then it can reverse can't it where Mm. like one person's completely distracted like I I mean I just love the party scene in this film I just absolutely adore like the first time I saw it I just thought it was so hilarious I think that there's something about the way Jackson's keeping an eye on Holly and kind of he's the one that comes and gets her from, you know, from that um, room where they're showing her an adult film. He's the one that goes and finds her. And and in the meantime, he's looking for clues. And then you have that fantastic shot of Ryan Gosling swimming after the mermaids. I think it's just so (laughs) funny. It's just the funniest thing in the world. And then, um, yeah, later on, after they've dealt with the dead body and, uh, Jackson says to him, "Like, what were you doing? Why were you in the pool?" And he said, "I had to question the mermaids. <laughs> what were you doing while I was working?" And it's just so funny. And I think that you know, like, it kind of it can just sort of ca- capture that kind of moment, can't it, between two people when they're trying to trying to get something done. I mean, I've, I think so many of us have had moments like that at work. <laughs> yes, very much so. I mean, I suppose you know, you could look at podcasts. Let's go really meta and think like. You know, it wouldn't work if, I mean, some of those podcasts where you can't recognise which one of them is talking because they both sound so similar and they're saying the same <laughs> things. Who's, okay, so who's who's Holland and who's Jackson out of you and me? I mean, I think I'm I'm probably Holland, aren't I? Really? Well, I was going to say, I'm the, I'm the buffoon. I mean, you're the, <laughs> you're the one who normally looks after me here. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> As some of the jokes, I think when, when they go back to the, to the house when they're looking for clues, when they realise that the aunt has seen Misty because they saw the video. And, they get, yeah. and he finds the desk with the typewriter and he's like, oh, I'm not that bad a detective, am I? You know, he's yes. kind of always seeking that approval because he's been stung by the comments that he's the worst detective ever. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm not. Look at me. I can do stuff. <laughs> yeah, completely. Well, you definitely get the sense that those comments from his daughter are kind of try slowly but surely sort of maybe spurring him on to become someone slightly better don't you because you know he has that um it's that exchange there earlier on in the movie where he says am i a bad person she says yes (laughs) (laughs) which i quite like i suppose that's the thing about great leaders is that they know how to inspire 
people and she knows what comment to make at the right time in order to get the best out of her dad. Yes. There are good jokes in this. One bit that I think is really hilarious is when they go and have the meeting with Kim Bassinger's uh, character and the bit where she says, yes, I've been involved with porn. And <laughs> and Holland says, oh, right, okay, great. So what are your favourite films and which ones do you like? <laughs> and Jackson says, no, no, anti-porn. Yeah. Like, again, she's against porn. And then um, Holland says, and he writes down, he's like, oh, yes, of course, thank you. And then he writes down, porn is bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, you know. So that's the thing. The, the, the film itself is kind of aware I think of like some of these, some of these kind of um, problems, and and maybe like, yeah, that a lot of that a lot of us, and maybe a, you know a lot of men in particular, will have an incredibly complicated relationship with these kind of themes. <laughs> <laughs> and the, but that's what's weird about the fi- like films like this. They sort of have their cake and eat it because they they make the point that there's a hell of a lot of corruption and sexism and it's all quite grim mm. while at the same time you feel like the camera is quite enjoying showing you topless women in a particular kind of setting where you don't necessarily feel like they've got that much agency and they know that their male viewer might be getting a lot out of that. We're, we're, <laughs> we're all the teenage boy at the beginning of the film. <laughs> Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> as long as no one gets hurt. Well, yeah. No, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All consenting adults. Um, yeah, and I, I know we, we joked again before about the, the bit in Knocked Up where Catherine Heigl's character, you know, we can tell that she's becoming more girlfriend material because she's helping log events in movies where women get naked for their website. Yeah. I can't remember which yeah. film is it she was watching where she shouts boobs and bush or you know, something like that. Yes. And it's like, ah, yes. oh, she's one of us now. Boobs! Boobs, boobs, boobs! Boobs and bush! Boobs and bush! Good boobs. Those are good ones. We're like 35 seconds in. Right, nice. In the beginning credit bush. You never get opening credit bush. I know, that's so crazy. I mean, I don't know if I've ever quite believed that she'd do. I mean, you know, she's very successful. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's how you'd want to spend your weekends, but I mean, that, that, there's a film we'll that's call. That's the knocked up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, even in this one, it's it's nice to see. You know, you you do have some scenes where the supporting cast get relationships of their own, and I think yes. that that that's part of it. And you know, in in a good buddy comedy. You know, you, you get your heroes, but you also get the kind of buddy henchmen, buddy villains, where you've got Keith David, who you know has been in the thing, and the, something about Mary. He's, I think he's built his credit as this older guy, um, yeah. and his relationship with Blueface at the beginning. You know, where they go to to Jackson's apartment and and shoot it up and everything, where he gets the the blue um, the dye from the banknotes on him. You know, it's funny. And you don't really see a lot of that because after that they become separated and you get these kind of teasers, really, that the characters are quite well written when they get a chance to breathe a little bit. And I think um, Kim Basinger's assistant, is it Tally, I think it is? And um, Holland clearly has a bit of a crush on her but you know, and, and can't believe that she's evil 
until (laughs) the moment it's quite apparent that she's evil. You know, he's like, oh, how did you do that thing with your hair? Um, (laughs) So funny. You know, but again, that's him him playing the moron again. Yeah, I'll call you, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, I do do like like the whole kind of trope that's running through the whole thing where he's, um, like, the fact that he's able to find the dead body of the guys because he is chatting a woman up and <laughs> falls backwards drunkenly over the balcony and stuff. So um, yeah. Yeah, the fact that he's so easily distracted by... So easily distracted by tits. <sighs> You've said it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not easy, you know, if you, you're distracted by tits and fall off a balcony and come across a, a dead Robert Downey Jr. in the forest. Um, yes, that's what, good fact. Good yeah. fact. Did you recognise him? I, did, I, I, I thought I did. Yeah. I that looks like Robert Downey Jr. And then you go to IMDb, oh, yes, it is. Well done. Well done. But then also, because there's a kiss, kiss, bang, bang thing, because the, the, the projectionist, as he calls himself, is Val Kilmer's son. Yeah. Um, Chet, which, um, so Chet, Chet's the, the character, and you kind of think that they were together in, in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, weren't they? But, um, yes, yes. And um, there, was, there was a lot of fun to be had in this. Beyond the two characters as well. Well, I, actually, I, I thought that it had a bit of a influence on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. And one thing that was quite interesting is that the girl that plays Amelia is Margaret Qualey, who is Andy McDowell's daughter, and she's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, is she? So, oh, yeah, yeah, she's in both movies. Was she too. the girl who gave Brad Pitt like a hitchhike? Yes. Okay, yes. Right, yeah. God. It's all nepotism in Hollywood. Sure. <laughs> it is heartwarming amounts of nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see all of these people being given a big break when the when the odds were stacked against them. Yes, yes. I mean, hopefully she'll be in a sequel to Four Weddings and a Funeral with... Does Hugh Grant have a child? You know what? Knowing Hollywood, they'll probably just match her with Hugh Grant. And <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, one one relationship that I really like in it as well is the relationship that uh, builds between Holly and Jackson. Mm. Actually, I think that's that's really great because um, I like the way at the end she manages to persuade him not to kill a guy, and she she does that by saying, "If you if you do it, I'm never going to speak to you again." So he doesn't, and that's you know. And then before that as well, there's one instance where she doesn't want to see him kill a guy, and he tells her to go and get help. And while she's gone, he kills the person mm. and doesn't want her to see. And, and yeah, I I like how their rapport is built up, and it's quite good as well because, as I say at the party earlier on, in various instances, he is actually looking out for her more than her dad is feeling that he's able to and that's quite nice to see I think sometimes in movies because you're sometimes taught that it's the parent always that's going to be ultimately the person that you know might care the most about someone given situation but sometimes it can be these alternatives I I like the idea of you know a gruff Russell Crowe being your caring uncle it's quite nice (laughs) well she she was the one who reintroduced him to yoohoo's Yes, I've never had a yoo-hoo. Have you had a yoo-hoo? No, I, what is it, like a chocolate milk kind of thing, I think. Um, oh, are they chocolate? They're not fruit, no? No, it didn't look like it. I think when he got knocked over and punched, uh, let's see, 
Yoohoo is an American like Yazoo's. Yoohoo yeah. is an American brand of chocolate flavored milk that was developed in go, New Jersey yeah. in 1928. Yeah, so I suppose it's like a Nesquik sort of thing, maybe. Oh, okay. Actually, the, the packaging looks quite similar to Nesquik. But um, yeah, and I, I guess that was you know her being nice because she thought he was her dad's friend, having just yes. broken her dad's arm and come yes. out. But um, yeah, that was a, it. Was a nice one really because because again. Um, Holland is allowed then by that relationship. He is allowed to be more goofy and to do more negligent things because there is the safety net of, you know, the enforcer then becomes her protector. Yes. Um, and that's a kind of nice little relationship. It's almost like she, you know, she's safe because it's that kind of film. But having, you know, the guy with the knuckle duster keeping an eye on her you kind of feel like there is that element there where it's quite it's quite amusing and it works and um yeah it's a shame like i'm i'm going to assume there aren't going to be any sequels to this but um that would that would have been something nice to have seen sort of develop further yeah i think russell crowe has said that he really wishes that there was a sequel to this because um i i do think that by the end you feel as if they built up so much rapport and that they're kind of ready to get on another mission don't you mm. like they yeah they set the scene very nicely and um they bounce off each other really beautifully i mean it, it teaches you quite a lot about kind of chemistry doesn't it like movies like this you just kind of think oh yeah if you if you just put a certain combination of performers together it's incredible what that can kind of um bring out in people mm. Because, as you say, both of them are kind of playing against type and they're kind of managing to re- reach into themselves and kind of like get a, di- a different facet of their, of what, you know, the public may have regarded as their, their main skill. Because I think like Russell, Russell Crowe is like such a sort of his deadpan delivery of some of the things that's just so beautifully done and then Ryan Gosling if when you think about the fact that he's the same person that is the lead in a movie like Drive and so many people just thought he was the coolest person in the world to be able to do something as comedic as this Mm. is really fantastic isn't it and it's like let's just face it as well I think it is do you think it's sort of harder to be I mean and this goes for both of them do you think it's sort of harder to be regarded as really funny if you've been um held up as sex symbols Possibly. I mean, and, and I guess that works for, you know, any gender or any, any group, really, is mm. if you're seen in that way, then people might not take you seriously. And there's there was that kind of trope that if you're, if you're not as good looking, you have to become funnier to kind of make up for it. It's like a, that's, that's a thing you do, because you don't need to be funny if you're attractive. Well, the other festive episode that we'll be doing this December is uh, about The Holiday, which is a Nancy Myers film. And in that, we talk a little bit about that, don't we? Because it feels a little bit like in that movie, there there are four leads and three of them are allowed to play things relatively straight, I suppose. But one of them is conspicuously expected to be very funny in all of the scenes that he's in because he's not as conventionally good looking as the other three. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I mean Jude Law's <laughs> quite ugly, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but you're so right. It's a, the expectations are completely different, aren't they? So, yeah. yeah. I mean I, I have to make not knock jokes because otherwise where would I be? 
You ever see the bad breath, Ty? <sighs> Breathe on it. <sighs> it works every time. Kills Holly. One thing I, I, I didn't mention earlier, and I kind of, the opportunity never really arose, was it, it was weird and, and not really explained what Ryan Gosling's character's obsession with Hitler was. Because I think he mentioned Hitler three or four times. Yeah. Throughout. And it's just kind of like, it was a weird kind of association to make. Yeah. <laughs> just like when I mean, I think he's being stupid. I know, I know. But like, <laughs> there's the bit in the lift where they go on the lift and they're talking about, he thinks that a guy without genitals is a Munich. Yeah. And he's like, no. And you know, Hitler only had one ball. You know who else is following orders, Hitler? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of expecting a Ken Livingston gag in there. But it's just like, it's just really, it was just really random. It's kind of like, you kind of do it once. Oh, that's funny. And it's like, it be, you kind of wonder if there would be a massive payoff for that at the end. Like, they'd end up in Nazi costumes or something like well, he can his character, the way he sort of misjudges what to say in any given scenario mm. really kind of reminds me a little bit of um, certain uh, Twitter accounts where <laughs> they, in order to make a point, they'll kind of reach for the most extreme example. And then, you know, that's the thing you have Jackson sort of putting his head in his hands going, oh, God, that's <laughs> so, so misjudged kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I suppose this and, film was written in the age of Twitter. So yes, you wonder if the, yes. the writers would be aware of that sort of link. One thing about it that I wondered in terms of the relationship between the two of them, whether this one, because it is made a little bit more recently, but as you say, it's by the same person that made, you know, such a classic as um, Lethal Weapon and um, Iron Man 3 and all, and all of these other, these other ones that are so famous as being action movies. I wondered whether this one had a little bit more about prodding fun at the idea of uh, kind of masculinity and how we're seeing it these days and how, you know, like, because um, there's quite a recurring joke, isn't there, of Ryan Gosling saying to him, you're a detective and you can't smell why that it just keeps getting better and he says wow that's really insensitive <laughs> and he says to him a few times that's really insensitive and I was thinking that that feels like the kind of joke that um yeah you'd make in more recent sort of movie making in terms of two guys interacting about you know like talking about their feelings making kind of you know references to kind of what how you should how you should talk to each other with delicacy but I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, ben, bear in mind as well. I mean, Shane Black was in Predator, which was like some of the most ultimate man yes, listening yeah. shots ever. And yeah. I mean, even in there, he was the one who made jokes about women with large vaginas. And All right, okay. yeah, have you seen Predator? I, didn't. I have not seen yes, Predator. Okay. Oh, no, no, no real spoilers there. But, um, you know, that, <laughs> like parts of that are like the ultimate macho film. And then you've gone to this, which was set 10 years before Predator was made. I mean, um, yeah. and, you know, guys talking about their feelings wasn't a thing. And, and, and I mean, in Lethal Weapon, you know, some of the stuff in there, and, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but, you know, some, some of the stuff in there was handled, I mean, it would have been handled very differently now because just more stuff is known about depression and, and mental health and, and things like that. But, um, 
you know they definitely touched on those themes in, in lethal weapon so it's um it's weird how how kind of times have changed but i think you know poking fun you kind of you can't imagine many people at all men or, or women probably in the 70s talking about insensitivity and poking fun you know that kind of stuff and i guess like an easy link to this because it was the same decade would be like life on mars and you're imagining like gene hunt you know the ultimate man's man copper and yeah. um you know when people were talking about sort of stuff from the future and even little gags in there like you know virgin mobile well, i can't get a mobile virgin all that sort of stuff and yeah. um you know you kind of see like it works well because we know when it was written and and i guess the comedy is is that you know maybe people in the 70s were thinking it but wouldn't dare say it but um they're comfortable enough in each other's company to be able to to laugh and joke about those sort of things but then a, a detective who can't smell really is quite useless hmm. yes i won't say yes. it to his face because that'll make him feel bad but <laughs> i mean it's it's quite striking i think that you get to the end of the movie and actually neither of them have had sex with anyone and that feels <laughs> kind of quite unusual i mean you know you've got me to see so many bond films recently and Sorry. This, this suddenly feels so so revolutionary the fact that neither of them have gone through several it's true, yes. it's true actually, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, so the combination of the fact that neither of them have any any flings and then also the uh, yeah, them them kind of looking into the relationship that he's got with his daughter and then bringing his daughter along with him for a lot of these adventures that feels like they're they're kind of straying more into the territory of I mean, I think it's good in the sense that they're sort of showing that you can't you can't wholly just put women in a completely different box to your relationships with other men. Like there's going to be there's going to be some overlap, you know. Um, you're going to have to deal deal with different things at the same time, and it's a bit actually reminds me a little bit of our episode that we did on True Lies, where we were talking about how True Lies is quite interesting as a premise because for once you actually see the fallout from what the guy does during the day on his personal life, on his family life, really. And see, sees, you know, you kind of see, even though it's very escapist and all of that, uh, it's quite interesting to think about that. And and this one has that too, doesn't it? Because you, you see that by him doing what he does and um, uh, his relationship to drink and being so irresponsible and so permanently distracted that that has a knock-on effect on um his daughter and how she's feeling about everything so that's quite good yeah i agree i think it would have been really weird if and i know that there are films lots of films where the main star the main the main lead and normally a guy will get away and, and finish the film with the leading lady and his daughter will be kind of witness to all of it you know yeah. and that, i mean that's the plot of a lot of films but, um, you know, the, the fact that his daughter's there, that's kind of, you know, she's the only woman in his life. <laughs> yeah, that's all he needs. In some ways, it's even though it's so funny, it's quite dark, isn't it, as yeah. a movie in some ways, yeah. So um, even though they've got the bee uh, scene, <laughs> which reminds me a little bit of the scene where they go up into space in the life of Brian for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just chuck in a random hallucination slash dream sequence in there. Yeah. <laughs> it was the 70s. 
Yeah, put some put some aliens in there or something. I mean, it's got a fantastic soundtrack. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, which is so so great. Mm. Um, that that alone is a great reason to to put it in the seventies, I think. And it ends at Christmas. Oh, yes. Which makes it a Christmas film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, we don't see the annual argument about this, do we? Old Mr. Kringle is soon gonna jingle the bells that'll tingle all your troubles away. Everybody's waiting for the man with the bag, cause Christmas is coming again. Well, as we hop onto our bar stools and set up an Instagram account for our new detective agency, we wish you a season filled with pool parties, buddies and mirror balls. Drive carefully. I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me. December, the one you'll remember, the best and the merry.